go. This is a dangerous group that we're dealing with now. Introducing the Dog Pound Daily Podcast with your hosts, Andrew Seipt. I must be louder. And site expert, Stephen Kabitza. If it's a blowout, Monday's podcast is going to be a bummer. But if they win, it's going to be a party. This DJ so funky, man. Okay, let's go. Welcome to the Friday edition of the Dog Pound Daily Podcast. I'm Stephen mm-hmm. Kibitza. I'm joined by my co-host, Andrew Seit. And today we actually have a special guest with us, Joel Cade, our resident offensive line expert at Dog Pound Daily. Joel, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. And thanks for that great intro. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> we are proud of our intros here. Um, so, Joel, well, we I've never been referred some... to as an expert before. Oh, well, well, don't tell the we public, have... so that's great. <laughs> that's great. It's, it's out there now. It's in the world. So we just want to get your initial thoughts as the expert on, you know, one of the biggest stories this entire season, Joe Thomas going down. Pretty much when you saw him go down last Sunday, what were your initial thoughts on the situation? Well, I mean, whoever expects Joe Thomas to go down? I mean, obviously, but my initial thoughts were, oh, no, there goes the streak, which is probably what everybody else thought. Uh, but on the other side of that, in all seriousness, I mean, my concern immediately became for the quarterbacks. You're already trying to develop a quarterback. You're already trying to develop, I don't know, two or three quarterbacks, and they get enough to worry about. The only bright spot they've really had this season is the fact they don't have to worry about their blind side. Well, now you can scratch that off the list. They're going to have to worry about that. Yeah, yeah with that being said, obviously with Thomas out, we've got uh, Spencer Drango seemingly – looking like the option to start this week, um, at least in the short term. Uh, what are your expectations for Spencer Drango in his first start at left tackle? Well, I can give you the good and the bad and the ugly on Spencer Drango. Uh, my expectations for him as a starter is, quite honestly, I think if he gives us an average performance, that's a win. Um, I mean, the good for Drango is that he's been a year in the, in the league. He's been a year in the system. He's played left tackle at Baylor. Uh, and when he was at Baylor, he was very good at left tackle. Uh, he didn't give up an attack his entire senior year. So you're thinking on the outset when you draft him, okay, we've got a pretty good left tackle here. So that bodes well for him to fill in. Now, um, is he going to need help? Absolutely. Which gets me to the bad. The bad on Spencer Drango is, um, you know, in the NFL, he's not really a fit at tackle. He has the, the body of a guard. And in a lot of ways, he plays like a guard. Now, what I mean by that is a tackle is generally a long body. Think of 6'7", 36, 37-inch arms, just a huge kind of mammoth guy. Okay, Drango is built more like a guard, which is more of the short, stocky type, well, for what NFL linemen are, short, stocky. But you want that barrel-chested, super strong kind of guy in the interior. And that's who Drango is. So that gives him a disadvantage uh, at tackle because these long ends, particularly Everson Griffin, is going to be able to get on him before he can get on them. So that's the bad. And the ugly on Drango is, um, well, he needs a lot of help. I mean, he he struggles on the bull rush because he's not used to the footwork out of tackle. He, again, his footwork, it helps him get beat on the end with the speed rushes. And worst of all, his stances this last week have tipped off what's going on. I mean, you could literally watch the film, look at his stance. That's a run right. That's a run left. That's a drop back pass. That's a quick pass. 
So they're going to have to clean that up immediately before they start him. You mentioned Everson Griffin, and I know, unless I'm mistaken, he's got a, a pretty darn good bull rush. I believe he's the, the NFL sack leader up to this point. Obviously, they're not going to put, they put him over Sean Coleman. They're going to go right after Spencer Drango, I would assume. What do you think they can Absolutely. do schematically to help, uh, I mean, just, just kind of mitigate some of that? Because I, I believe they're going to have to keep some sort of tight end inside, right? Right. They're going to have to do a lot. <clears throat> well, first of all, to talk about Griffin, the guy is 6'3", 6'4", 270, and runs a 4'4", 40. Okay, that's Ooh. nightmarish. I mean, the guy is excellent, and I, I was watching this film on him, excellent at getting a full head of steam, barreling into a tackle, and then converting that speed into power and barreling that person, that tackle, right into the, the quarterback. So Drango's going to need help. Now, <clears throat> schematically, you can do a lot of things. You can bring a tight end and keep them, keep the tight end in. Now, that was interesting to see that the Browns brought in Matt Langle, activated him for the practice squad. Okay, Matt Langle is 6'7", 270. He looks like a small offensive tackle. So I'm guessing that move was designed to help Drango this week. Um, I'm assuming he's going to block. He's going to stay in to help. <clears throat> when you've got a lineman or a tight end that's that big, it's like having another lineman uh, on the field. So that, I think, is part of the move to help Drango. Um, schematically, you can also bring in two running backs on passing plays, particularly long passing plays, and assign one to the left and one to the right. Uh, you can also, formation-wise, spread teams out in the hopes that you eliminate the interior stunt games. So you get less mm. linebacker defensive end games going on if you have the linebacker out covering. Now, that said, schematically you can only do so much with a guy like Everson Griffin, but with a guy that's that powerful and fast and he particularly likes the inside move, my guess is they're going to use running backs. Now, one of the things so I you saw mean, you Baltimore mean do less. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was, I was just going to make a joke about that the Browns might actually have to play Duke Johnson more than 30% of the snaps, which <laughs> well, they're going to have to. Yeah. Well, I, I would say that Isaiah Crowell would be better suited to try to take that on. But I mean, I mean, yeah, if you got Crowell in there blocking, you have to play Danny Vitale more because he's an excellent blocker back there. Um, particularly on running plays, he's a good blocker because you're going to have to deal with Griffin both in the run and the pass, Griffin in the run and the pass both particularly if you want to be a both right-handed and left-handed running team. So you're going to have to scheme for him on pretty much every play, which also asks the question, is Kaiser up for that? Is he able to, you know, walk up to the line and see what they're doing? Yeah, Andrew, it's going to be, you, I think, a tough challenge for the offensive line in general, especially on that left side. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the depth chart here. I see Zach Banner, Marcus Martin, Austin Ryder, uh, and, and the, the tight end that you had mentioned as well, and I think Roderick Johnson is the lead coming off IR this week or next week, right? That would be helpful. I haven't seen anything, but that would be helpful. Do you, do you think over the bye week that there's a plan to work in some of those guys that, I mean, if the Spencer Drango experiment fails miserably or even mo like moving a guy like Sean Coleman over to that left side, is that something that you envision the Browns doing during their bye week? I think the bye week the Browns need to figure out what they're doing this season. Okay, if it's a developmental season, and I know we say this every week because I listen to these podcasts, every week that's up there. What, what are the Browns doing this season? If they're going to run developmental, then you've got to decide what you're doing with Sean Coleman. Is Sean Coleman going to be the right tackle and we're not going to mess with him? At which case, you need to bring in Roderick Johnson. 
because he was the guy the Browns drafted to play left tackle. Then you put him in there and you live with him. Or if you're a quarterback, you may die with him. <laughs> Either way, you got to do something with that situation. If you think Sean Coleman is your left tackle of the future, then after the bye week, you need to move him over there and work in either Drango at right tackle and live with it or put in Zach Banner and live with it. Now, Banner looks more like a right tackle than a left tackle, so I would be very shocked to see Banner playing left tackle. So if you leave Coleman at the right, you're going to be looking at the rotation of Roderick Johnson, Spencer Drango. Uh, it depends on how ready Johnson's going to be. Now, Johnson didn't look that bad in preseason, so if he did play – you're going to have some growing pains, but he's not going to look lost. Mm-hmm. But now, on the other hand, Drango looked lost last week. So you might be better off running with Johnson on the left side. It just kind of depends on what they're doing. If they're out to win games, then you got to keep Coleman at right tackle, and you got to put who you think your best option to win a football game out of left tackle, which is probably going to be Drango, along with a lot of Matt Lingle and a lot of scheming to help out with the left tackle. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think finally we're going to be able to see some of the sets that I, I think Stephen and I have both been clamoring for thus far, which is just just pound the run. I think at some point you got to stop featuring these wide receivers, and now having to keep a tight end inside, I think we're going to see a lot more three tight end sets, double running back, eye formation, you know, trying to take him out of the game or at least try to establish a run game, even against the defense as stingy against the run as the Vikings are. So. With that being said, uh, we're going to ask one final question, and that is your score prediction for this week. Uh, Joel, what do you think is going to happen on Sunday? Uh, you know, given that Minnesota's never lost overseas, um, I'm thinking it's not looking too good for the Browns, so I'm going to make this uh, 28-10 for Minnesota. Ooh, brutal. Thank you, Joel. I appreciate the time, and uh, we'll have you on very soon, hopefully to, to reassess how this position group went. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. All right, thanks for having me. Well, I think that went pretty well for the first Dog Pound Daily interview, I must say. Thank you to Joel for coming on with us. He brings up a good point about, you know, just the the fact that the offensive line has been, I would say, one of the constants, especially Joe Thomas being one of those constants. And it's just one of those unfortunate things, especially for a franchise already in such a hole as the Browns this season. It's almost like rubbing salt in the wounds at this point, don't you think? Yeah, Joe Thomas, I think Joe Thomas going down was a perfect illustration of this season. Just kind of the last three seasons almost. It's, well, you know, things could get worse. Joe Thomas could be out, and then he's out. And it's, well, well how many weeks are left? I think you texted me. I think when it happened, you were like, it's the first time that there's been a, a different player at left tackle since 2006. Like, And it never hit me, you know, just to not have Joe Thomas on the field because as bad as we've been since 2006 – you know, that one constant has always been Joe Thomas. So it, I think it means more to the locker room and, and especially those young guys on the field to not see Joe Thomas out there because he's been the Iron Man for so long. But maybe he'll come back next year and uh, maybe, who knows, do, do you think he might take the front office role of instead of Sashi Brown if given the chance? No, I think he's coming back to play. He doesn't seem like a guy who's going to go out on this injury. And also this is an injury that, you know, you get surgery to repair – it's in his arm. It's not like in his knee or his ankle. I think he'll be back, and he he'd at least want to play one more season, healthy. Well, why? If you're him, though, I mean, you're seeing a one in fifteen season last year, an zero and six se- or an zero and seven season so far this year. Just looking at the track record of Jimmy Haslam and his, I mean, he's fired every regime after two years. Let's go under the assumption that he's going to give Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown another year. 
do you think it's it's worth it in his mind to to come back and play for you know one of the probably the worst actually the worst franchise in the nfl i do because i think i've talked about it in the past on here too joe thomas seemingly doesn't care about winning he just enjoys playing left tackle for the browns but wouldn't you want so him to go play anyone though? else i mean wouldn't you want him to go play for like a contender if he I, I feel bad the guy's gonna have a hall of fame career and he's wasted it here never coming close to the playoffs never really being on a competitive football team i mean i think that's the least we could do for the guy you know just to get him to another team and maybe even get to the super bowl just to to call it a career essentially yeah but i mean what are the chances you trade him to a super bowl winner huh. is he going to the patriots the packers Packers need well before Aaron Rodgers went down I think they would have been the perfect or the Eagles with Carson Wentz before he went down that would have been a perfect uh perfect partner but I think the Browns have done enough in giving the Eagles the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl and trading Carson Wentz so we're not going to touch on that I'm, I'm I'm in a decent mood today so I don't want to ruin my mood by talking about Carson Wentz uh, but we did talk about the bye week a little bit and it's a little interesting with recent uh firings on the way home from London with Joe Philbin in Miami, I think was one of them. And, and I don't remember the other one off the top of my head, but I mean, is, is this a situation this week where we're, we see a guy like Hugh Jackson or Sashi Brown get axed on the way home from, from London? It depends on the game. I mean, if they go over there and get just stomped like 42, nothing, I think the rumors are going to be going all week. I do not think that anyone would get, fi- I don't think Sashi Brown would get fired mid season. After really? a big loss. Why not? I, I think the only person who would have the chance to get fired would be Hugh Jackson. Well, what, if you're going to fire somebody, I would think it would have to be Sashi Brown because, I mean, you, obviously I think Hugh Jackson's at fault too, but I think the, the sooner you can get another either team president or general manager in here, you don't want to be caught behind the eight ball when you're like six or seven months down the road trying to scout or being caught up on the scouting game. You, you want to get – Get in now, get a head start on this year's draft because they do have six picks or five five picks in the top 100. You know, they're going to need an important scouting handbook or whatever they use, and they can't be left like they were in 2016 with Sashi Brown coming in in February, I think, and Hugh Jackson coming in around that time as well. It kind of puts you in a bad position. So I think if, if anyone's going to get fired, I, I think it's either Sashi Brown getting demoted in his role or the Browns bringing in – uh, a team president or general manager, something to help just put provide talent on this roster. Yeah, I could see that happening. I, like I said, I, I don't think they'd fire him. I could see someone being added. But there's a very good possibility the Vikings destroy them. Yeah, I, I think it's an inevitability, to be honest. it's Their defense gives up like less I think just around three yards per carry similar to the Browns so they're, they're a tough team to run the ball against their pass rush and secondary is fantastic so that leads the Browns to have to want to run the ball right and especially with Joe Thomas being out you don't want to have Deshaun Kaiser dropping back 45 times a game I think it's going to be a low scoring game contrary to what Joel said I just don't think the I think the Browns defense would actually be able to stop most of what the Vikings can do because they're really not too prolific especially if Stefan Diggs is out um, but it's just offensively, I see no way that they're going to be able to put the Browns are going to be able to put points on the board this week. We talked about it off the air. It's always, um, like you said, maybe it's, this is the week to show Kaiser comes out and throws four touchdowns and no turnovers, but it's even predicting that now it's all like, no, that's what he is likely going to do. It's like a last hope 
Because even coming into this week, I mean, the Browns losing is is going to be a lock every week. I mean, we do the the pick 'em or I do the pick 'em standings. Everyone picks against the Browns. I think after week three or four, that kind of started to be the trend. Because until they really show us a chance, like the op, the chance that they're going to win or that they can execute an actual victory, there's no reason to pick the Browns to win. And the only reason I have that confidence is because I have to tell myself that that maybe this is the week that they'll turn it around. Because if I don't, I'm just going to go insane on Sunday. Like, there's no point in watching the game before. I mean, it's all apathy is going to set in unless <laughs> I, I kind of get my hopes up a little bit beforehand. So uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting game to say the least. I'll tell you that. And I agree with that. There really is no point to even watch if there's like no excitement at all. And I know it's hard to have any, but you have to at least be like maybe they'll do it just to keep yourself sane. But I mean, once. Like after a game like last week, you kind of get the sense of I, I'm not confident they could score touchdowns. I mean, the only reason the game went to overtime is because Dan Gonzalez kicked a knuckleball that knuckled through the uprights. They gave up 12 points last week, and I understand that they were coming off a short week and they were hurt, but that is the the perfect trap game that the Browns need to win. Like we see all the time, Pittsburgh went into Chicago and got I don't know if it was caught off guard or looked past them but I mean Chicago's proven to be a, a halfway decent team and I mean those are the kind of games that that rebuilding teams need to win and the fact that the Browns don't have I don't want to say veterans because that leads into the Kenny Britt kind of veteran but just experienced players that know how to win football games that is easily the biggest area that this team is lacking because you have a bunch of rookies out there that don't know their ass from a hole in the ground in terms of how to win a football game and they're all looking to each other for resources or looking to guys like Kenny Britt for advice. And that's not the kind of guy that is going to be an asset to your team. So I think they just need to bring in some guys that, and we said it back when Petten signed him, but like the Dante Whitner, Carlos Dansby, guys that come in from winning, like they know how to win football games, maybe not as older or less productive, like maybe a little bit more productive than those guys. But I think there's just got to be some infusion of, of veteran talent out here to be able to, to actually win some football games at some point. I mean, we, we beat that same horse every week. It's You're almost waiting, like, maybe this week will be the week they bring in a veteran. <laughs> well, I mean, you see a guy like Martavis Bryant wanting out. I doubt the Browns would want – I mean, they already have a malcontent wide receiver in Kenny Britt. Why would you want another one in Martavis Bryant if he doesn't like, <laughs> you know, playing in Pittsburgh where he's playing with Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, and Le'Veon Bell? I'm sure he'd be real happy to go to the 0-7 Browns uh, and get his face rubbed in it by Pittsburgh twice a year. So I, I just don't see those kind of guys on the market. But, I mean, we saw it with the Jamie Collins trade last year. Hopefully that there's a guy out there that this front office sees as kind of a – not a season-saving move, but just a move that kind of puts some life into whatever side of the ball you know that they can find at this point. Imagine being traded to the Browns if you're on a winning team and you come to the 0-8 Browns. Oh, I – I'm sure Jamie Collins wasn't thrilled when he first heard the news. I think he was more looking for the money. And I, I assume if new England's not going to give it to you and the Browns are willing to do it, you'll, you'll put on the uniform and play and ever all the accounts say that he's, he's been nothing but like a, a good piece to this defense. So if they can find another guy like that, you know, I'd be more than happy to give up second, third round picks because it, you got to stop drafting rookie players. You've got to start putting established talent on this football team. Almost like what other successful teams do. I, it's it's a novel concept, I swear. It's, I mean, you see teams like the Eagles. The Eagles 
tr- used all the draft picks that they had to go and get a guy that they knew or that in their minds knew was a franchise quarterback. And look, they're six and one right now. Miles Garrett could have 10 sacks by now and the Browns would still be zero and seven. You know, it's not, you can put all the skill positions around whatever quarterback you want, but as we've seen so far, until you get competent quarterback play where you're not turning the ball over and you're actually a threat to move the ball downfield, you're not going to win any football games. On that note, the positive note, let's move into some fun stuff, some picks for the week. Locks, upsets, and our Browns score prediction, which is always my favorite part of every episode. Mm-hmm. We got Joel's. So would you like to start with a lock or an upset, Andrew? I'm going to start with a lock, and unfortunately it's probably going to be the same uh, the same pick as the Browns. I, I just think there's no way the Browns go into London to the, tomorrow or Sunday, whatever day that game's going on, and beat the Vikings. It's bad to say. So your lock but is the Vikings? Yes, my lock is the Vikings. Ooh, interesting. My lock, not the Vikings, is going to be the Eagles over San Francisco. There will not be any San Francisco magic. The Eagles are going to improve the 7-1, and one, keep rolling with Carson Wentz, who had his coming out party on Monday Night Football. He's had his coming out party, man. I mean, he's, he got off to a hot start last year, and I know he kind of tailed off to the end. But, man, watching him on Monday night, it was like watching Aaron Rodgers almost. You know, he just drops back, and he's firing balls all over. Guys are open. He's hitting guys up the seam. Just throws that, that we have not seen from a quarterback here ever. So it's, it's a – a little slap in the face watching that. But moving into the upset pick, I'm going to choose Detroit over Pittsburgh. Interesting. I think Detroit's due for a win. They started off hot, and they kind of tailed off a little bit. If they can contain Le'Veon Bell, I think they've got a good chance to win on Sunday. So my upset, and this is based on the CBS Sports percentages of picks, is going to be Oakland beating Buffalo. Buffalo comes in favorite in these picks at home, playing well this year. But I'm going to go with the Raiders. I think I chose the Raiders too, actually. I think that I think they have a good chance to win. Buffalo, they're just that vanilla team. I think they have a good defense, but you look at the Raiders and you look at the the offensive power that they have, and you wonder if even though Buffalo's won a few games, especially against the teams like Atlanta, you know, you just wonder that they're a team that is so wishy washy week to week. At least in my mind, you know, I don't watch Buffalo football all the time, but you don't see anybody on that team that really scares you outside of Lashawn McCoy. They do this every year. Mm-hmm. They start well and then they just fade. But for my Browns score prediction, I believe Joel said 28 to 10 Vikings. I am going <laughs> to improve that 27-13 Vikings. You, you think the Browns are going to score a touchdown, don't you? Yes. Garbage time heroes. I, that's more than what I'd give them. I think it's going to be 24 to 3 Minnesota. Ooh. Yeah, it's not going to be a fun one. I, I just don't see a way the Browns are going to move the ball. So I think for fun, let me just throw a fun one out there. Browns upset win. Nine to six. <laughs> another another barn burner of a game like we saw last week, <laughs> 12 to nine. I mean, I hope they win. I think I say that every week. I hope they win. I just don't see it happening. I mean, we've had chances. I, I think this team, if they had Josh McCown under center, would have won two or three games already. And that's the kind of guy that gives you just adequate quarterback play. So uh, go Browns. Hopefully they can pull it off. Oh, yeah. we're Like you said, we're always hoping they win. We're rooting for them. We want to thank Joel Cade for coming on the podcast. He's a frequent listener, and you could read all his offensive line work and other articles on Dog Pound Daily. You can read my articles as well, and Andrew's, and everyone else's. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a review, and as always, thank you for listening.